second chapter of the book of James, beginning in verse 14. From the second chapter of James, this sermon under the title of How to Complete Your Faith. What use is it, my brethren, if a man says he has faith, but he has no works, can that kind of faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed, and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. Someone may well say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one? You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see, that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers, sent them out by another way? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Now I want to reemphasize two verses by reading them again, verses 22 and 23. You see, that faith was working with his works and as a result of the works, faith was made perfect, literally. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now there's an interesting word there in verse 23. It's the word reckoned. It means to credit to one's account. It's an accounting term. That means something is credited to another's account. That's what faith does. For in the kingdom of God, faith is the standard of, of uh, currency. It's the standard of exchange. So that I can bring my faith to God and I can exchange it for any commodity that I need. I need to say that again. I can bring my faith to God. And because faith is a standard of exchange in the kingdom of God, I can exchange my faith for whatever commodity I need. Now Abraham is a perfect example of that. He's exhibit A of that. For Abraham needed righteousness. He needed right standing with God. But there was nothing in his life that would cause that or enable that to be. And so he came to God and God says this, in essence... This is the message of the gospel. You come and you lay your faith on me and I will lay my righteousness on you. You exchange your faith for my righteousness. 
And Paul uses that term that we hear and don't know what it means, imputed. It means that he declared him to be righteous while he was in a state of sinning. He brought his faith to God and he exchanged it for God's righteousness. Now the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews that we've been looking at from time to time in this series is literally loaded with examples of that. So I want you to turn one more time to the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews. Just turn quickly. I was reminded at least five times this morning that the Cowboys kick off at 12. So the, quick, the, the quicker you get this, the quicker we're out of here. So we're going to go to 11th chapter, and we'll begin reading at verse 32. And I can just see the author of the book of Hebrews, um, you know, he's running out of time, and so he just kind of lumps this all together, and he pours it all in there. He says in verse 32, And what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon and Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms. Now, Gideon needed some conquered kingdoms. He didn't have any. And so he goes to God and he says, God, I need some conquered kingdoms. This is kind of in the margin, you understand, but it's what happened. He says, I need some conquered kingdoms. God says, well, I just happen to have a special on conquered kingdoms. You give me your faith, I'll give you some conquered kingdoms. And he submitted his faith to God, and God in return conquered kingdoms. And he said, by faith, he shut shut the mouths of lions. Now, I I take it he's talking about Daniel and the lion's den. Now, Daniel didn't have time nor opportunity to stop by the Kmart store and get some lion muzzles. (laughs) You've got to use your imagination. He didn't have time to stop by the... Kmart store and get some lion muzzles and so he, but he desperately needed some I can tell you that for sure and God said I'll tell you what you put your faith on me and I'll put my hand on the mouth of those lions so he exchanged his faith for God's lion muzzles and he said by faith he quenched fires now I think he's talking about the three Hebrew children here. They didn't have any fire extinguishers, but they certainly needed some. And so God says, you put your faith on me and I'll quench the fire. Now the problem with that is, is that that doesn't work for most of us. I suppose that one of the most frustrating things in all the world is to come to church and read the Bible, hear somebody talk about the fact that you can exchange your faith for whatever commodity you need because it just doesn't work that way with us. And there's a terrible discrepancy between God's promise and my performance. And I want to know, my, my question is, why isn't that true of me? I mean, why isn't my faith, what's wrong with my faith? Why isn't it like that? Well, there's a little word in verse 22 that we overlook, and that's the key. And he says in verse 22, back to the text, he says in verse 22 that it was by works that that faith was, what's this, perfected or made perfect, made complete. Now everybody here this morning has an imperfect faith. It's not perfect. And if someone has a perfect faith, a completed faith, it will have to be made that way. 
As a matter of fact, that word means to arrive at the goal. And for so many of us, our faith falls far short of the goal. But Abraham's faith arrived at the goal. His, the goal of his faith was righteousness. And his faith arrived at the goal. Now how is it that our faith is made to arrive at the goal? Well, James says, by your works. It is by works that your faith is made perfect, made complete, made to arrive at the goal. Now there are two kinds of works that, uh, that cause that to happen. There is a cooperating work and there is a corresponding work. I want you to follow this carefully. This is the key. There is a cooperating work. Now the Bible teaches, James is driving home in this little epistle that Martin Luther thought was heresy. He's driving home that, that works are the result of faith. And that if you have a genuine faith, there will be works that cooperate with it. And he's driving home the fact that works are the essence of faith. Um, we've already established that one of the best definitions of faith is what man does in response to the will and revelation of God. It's something he does in response to what he knows about God. And there are, well, there are always works so that if a person has faith, it cooperates with his works and makes that faith complete. And you can't have one without the other. Now there's an old song that we'll, we used to sing, it tells my age. I mean, I'm telling off on myself. Some of you will kind of smile and nod at the recognition of this song, and I know you're a bunch of old folks when you do. Faith, uh, love and marriage, love and marriage. They go together like a horse and carriage. Now these kids have absolutely no concept, no idea of that song. Never heard it, have you? That's, that's no. Never have, never have heard never have. Love and marriage, love and marriage, they go together like a horse and carriage. Mom, dad was told by mother that you can't have one without the other. Now let me tell you something. You cannot have faith without works. There is an old adage that says, that if there's smoke, there's fire. So if I'm driving down the street and I see smoke coming out the chimney, I have a right to assume that there's a fire in the fireplace. I want to turn that all the way around. I want to go at it like this. If you see fire in the fireplace, you've got to assume that there's smoke coming out the chimney because you can't have one without the other. Now what James is saying is this, that when you have faith, it will result in some kind of work. Hebrews chapter 3 the author of the book of Hebrews chapter 3 is describing why they didn't enter into victory. And he says in verse 12, he says they didn't enter into victory because of their unbelief. But in verse 18 he says they didn't enter into victory because of their disobedience. Now which was it? Make up your mind. Did they, did they not enter into victory because of their unbelief or because of their disobedience? Well, it's both because they're one and the same. Faith and obedience are the same. Bonhoeffer said, only he who believes obeys, and only he who obeys truly believes. Now I want you to turn to the fourth chapter of the book of John, right quickly. Fourth chapter of John. Now I'm going to tell you, I'm going to warn you that I'm going to preach on this next Sunday, but I'm just going to, want, you know, I'm going to do this a little more in detail next Sunday, but I'm going to give you a little preview. 
as if you want one. All right? Verse 46 of John 4. Hurry and turn. The 46th verse of John 4. He, Jesus, came therefore again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son was sick at Capernaum. This royal official had a son sick. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and was requesting him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Now there are two things wrong with that nobleman's son. Two things wrong with that nobleman's faith. Did I say nobleman's son? You ought to have been in the early service. I couldn't get my tongue working in an early service. There was two things wrong with his faith. The first was that he thought that, he, that Jesus had to be there to heal his son. And the second thing wrong with his faith was he thought his son had to be alive before Jesus could perform a miracle on him. If he dies, it's over. Two things wrong with his faith. So he's coming to Jesus and he's going to get Jesus to go down with him to his house and heal his son. Now notice what happens. Jesus therefore said to him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. The royal official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. You've got to be there. He's got to still be alive. And Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your son lives. And the man believed the word that Jesus spoke and started off. Now watch this. He thought, he came to him with a preconceived idea that he get Jesus to go with him. Man, your son lives. Let me tell you something. Watch very carefully. When you are obedient to the word, when you have faith and you, that faith leads to obedience, somehow God will confirm that every time. He'll confirm that every time. Now let's look on down. So the father, the, the father asked him, he said, when did this happen that my son got well? He said, well, he's, they told him when. So the father knew that it was at that hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives, and he himself, underlined that word, believed in his whole house. I thought he already believed. I mean, it says he believed the word. Now watch this. The first time he said he believed it is a reference to a faith, a belief in God's word for a particular moment, for a particular thing, for a specific point in time. The second time... It means that he believed Jesus for everything, you see. And because he was obedience, obedient to the first command of our Lord, and he responded with a cooperating faith, that faith grew to the point that he had come to a place in his life where he could believe God for everything. That's what we're looking for. A cooperating faith. Now, I'm going to give you some illustrations of that. Just kind of bombard you with some. A cooperating faith. Now, you say that you believe that God will provide for every need you have. Do you believe that? Now, this is yes and this is no. Now, okay, all together, do you believe that God will provide for your needs? Do you really believe that? You say you believe that all the time, right? I believe that, we say. I believe that God will provide for my needs. 
Now, what is the cooperating work of that belief? Well, in the first place, you stop worrying. Now, how can you say you believe that God will provide for your needs if you still worry? See? And the second cooperating work of that belief is that you start tithing. You thought I was going to get around to that eventually, didn't you? Now, it is a, mutually, a mutual contradiction, folks, if you say, I believe that God will provide every need I have, and you're afraid to tithe your income. There, that's, that's a mutual contradiction. So if you believe that God will provide for your needs, there has to be a cooperating work that completes that belief, and those are the things. All right, let me ask you a second question. In the first service, everybody stopped nodding after that first one, okay? But we'll see. Do you believe that God will save the lost person? Do you believe that? See there? Not a single one shook a head. All right, all right. well, I won't call your name. You got a neighbor next door, you believe God will save him? I believe that, we say, that God will save that lost person next door, that there's nobody beyond the grace and love and forgiveness of God. If you really believe that, if you really believe that, then this afternoon you'll be knocking on his door with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's the cooperating work. I heard a preacher tell about, he was pastor in Reagan County, Texas. That's a little old dry spot down in southwest Texas, way down in southwest of San Angelo, Texas. And he said he was pastor of this little old church in Reagan County, and it was during the mid-80s when they had such a drought, he said everything was burning up. He said we hadn't had a rain in 18 months. And he said all the ponds were drying up, so all the cattlemen were having to sell their herds and have any water. And he said, so, you know, they finally decided it's gotten so desperate we need to pray. You know, it's that bad already. And so... He said they kind of had an ecumenical prayer meeting for rain and they were going to meet on Saturday afternoon in the First Baptist Church because that's the biggest building in town. And he said, so everybody was gathering there and all those old cattlemen standing out in front of the church, you know, making jokes and kind of making light and everybody was having a good time. And all of a sudden a car drove up. And this par these parents brought this little boy up to the prayer meeting. He's about 10. And he got out of the car, and he had an umbrella, and he had a rain slicker on, and galoshes, and a rain hat. Everybody thought, isn't that cute? What a cutesy little thing to do. Dress this little boy up in a raincoat. Isn't that cute? He said that little boy wasn't trying to be cute. Right in the middle of the prayer meeting, they heard this little boy start praying, Lord, my dad said, that I could have the herd when I got big enough, when I became a man. And Lord, I don't want Daddy to have to sell off my herd. <laughs> he said, could you please send us some rain so my Daddy wouldn't have to sell my herd? And after the prayer meeting, everybody was just kind of, oh, wasn't that such a sweet prayer? But he said that night, that preacher said that early in the wee hours of the morning, he said, I was jolted out of my sleep. I heard some loud bang. He said, I thought somebody was tearing the house down. He said, I listened, and sure enough, there was this clap of thunder rolling across the sky. And he said, I began to listen, and rain began to fall on the house and against the window pane in torrents. He said, the first thing I thought of 
was that little boy and his rain slicker. Now, you want to know how to have a completed faith? Then you need to start acting with a cooperating work on what you believe. All right, second. There not only needs to be a cooperating work, there must be a corresponding work. Now, Philip's translation of verse 14 is this. Listen. Now, what use is it, my brother, for a man to say he has faith if his actions do not correspond with it? And he uses that word correspond several times in this passage. Not only is it a corresponding work, it is, not only is it a cooperating work, it is a corresponding work. In other words, the thing I do must be relevant to what I believe. Now, he uses an illustration of a guy who's destitute. He doesn't have anything to eat, doesn't have any clothes to wear. And he says, this guy comes up, he sees this guy in need of clothes and food, and so he says to him, go on, brother, you're going to be warmed and filled. He speaks a word of faith saying, I just know that God is going to take care of you, but he doesn't do anything about it. That's a violation of point one, no cooperating faith. But let me give you a violation of point two, no corresponding work. Suppose that you came along later and saw me digging ditches. And you say to me, why are you digging those ditches? And I'd say, well, you see that old boy over there? He's cold and, and I'm digging this ditch to warm him. Well, I may dig ditches all day and I'm not going to warm him. Might warm me. <laughs> Probably would warm me. Wouldn't warm him. And I say, well, he said, why are you digging this ditch? And I say, well, I'm digging this ditch to feed that boy. As I dig, every, every dig I do, he, he gets something to eat. Well, that's ludicrous and ridiculous. Well, what should I do if I have a, a faith that corresponds that with that faith? Well, I dig in my pocket and I give him some money. That's the corresponding work. And God takes that money that I give and He returns it to me and blesses me because of it. There is this corresponding work. Now, I want to hammer it home here with some illustrations. Listen carefully. There's a story that General Napoleon's steed broke and ran away. And there's this private, quick-thinking private who saw this horse, this mount of Napoleon's escape, run away. And he got on his horse and he rode after it and caught it. And he brought the horse back, this private, brought this horse back to General Napoleon, put the reins in his hands. And Napoleon said, thank you, Captain. And when he said that, his eyes lit up like the sun and he saluted and said, thank you, sir. And this private, now-made captain goes to the barracks, moves out, moves into the officer's quarters, and he gets his old uniform, goes to the quartermaster, and exchanges it for a captain's uniform. And he didn't argue, and he didn't doubt, and he didn't shrug, because he knew that the one who had the authority to do that did it, and he just correspondingly responded. All right, that's one illustration. I heard a man tell about the fact, tell his testimony. He said he was a smoker. 
And he, 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 he heard that that was bad on your lungs, so he's going to quit. And in, a, in the service one Sunday, he, he made a promise to God. He said, Lord, I believe that you'll deliver me from this, and I'm going to trust you for that deliverance. Right now, I'm going to put my faith in it. And he went home, and he had his pack of Marlboros, and he, just in case, he put them in the desk drawer, just in case, you know, so he could have them. About three days later, he had this terrible nicotine fit, and so he thought, well, maybe he was going to help me cut down, you know, on smoking. So he, 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 he smoked one or two, and, and it went along until he was right back again. About six months later, the same feeling came over him in church. And he said that back there, sitting back there in the pew, he said, Lord, I'm going to trust you to deliver me from this. I believe you can. When the invitation was given, he walked down the aisle. He put the Marlboros on the altar, and he told the congregation, I'm trusting God to deliver me. And he never smoked again. That's illustration number two. And here is a woman in the service, and she has a lost husband. And she's praying for that lost husband, that God would save him. And one day in the service, she says to the Father in her heart, Lord, I just trust you to save my husband. I'm not going to worry about it anymore. I'm going to depend on you to do it. I believe you will. Now, what is her corresponding work? Well, you can read about it in 1 Peter chapter 3. For Peter says, if you trust the Lord to save a lost husband, this is what you do about it as a wife. You stop nagging, hallelujah. And, and, you, and you, be, you become this submissive wife who has this chaste and holy lifestyle. And that's the cooperating work. That's illustration number three. And there's a man sitting in church and he hears the gospel and he believes that God will save him. And he wants to be delivered from his sin and he wants to be redeemed and he wants to go to heaven. So he says in his heart, Lord, I believe you'll save me. I trust you to save me. What is the corresponding work? He steps out and he comes forward. He walks an aisle and he confesses Jesus before men and he follows him in baptism and it is that corresponding work that completes that faith, that sermon illustration number four. You, you getting the message? And this is the last. In your mind, I want you to see this old man. He does it every Friday. He shuffles out to the boat dock and he has a pail of shrimp in his hand and he goes out to the boat dock every day at the same time to feed the gulls he has a bucket of shrimp nobody no gulls are there but it isn't long until the sky is covered with them and they're squawking and screaming and darting and he takes the shrimp out of the bucket one at a time and he feeds those gulls like a friend and when all the shrimp is gone. They just kind of hang around through the gulls and the old man. Some of them light on his hat, some on his shoulders, and they just kind of have a little thing there, just a little fellowship. You may have read about this man. In 1942, April the 14th, Eddie Rickenbacker 
with a hand, group of hand-picked men took off in a B-17 called the Flying Fortress to, to, to deliver a personal message to Douglas MacArthur. And that plane got lost in the South Pacific and went down. And they all were escaped to the life rafts, but they began the struggle out in the middle of the Pacific against the sun and the heat and the starvation. Eight days after they were out there, they ran out of rations, but they were men of faith. And General Eddie Rickenbacker was a man of faith, and they prayed for a miracle. And one day it happened. After a devotional time, he leaned back in the raft, pulled his cap down over his eyes to get some rest, and all of a sudden a seagull landed on his head. Now where did that seagull come from? Who knows? Thousands of miles away from land in the middle of the South Pacific, a gull lands on his head. And he reaches up and he catches the gull and they eat it. And they take the intestines of the gull and use it for fish bait and they survive. That was on a Friday in the South Pacific. So every Friday he shuffles out to the boat dock and he feeds the gulls for there is always a cooperating work to faith. Some of you need to shuffle. No, you need to crawl down this aisle in submission, in gratitude for what God has done for you. And some of you this morning who have never trusted Jesus as Savior, you've, you've, you want to be, the moment you step out and you make that commitment of your life and the cooperating, corresponding work completes that some of you this morning are, are Christians. But there's a terrible discrepancy between God's promise and your performance. The reason there's no cooperating, no corresponding work. Let's pray. Our Father, I pray this morning that in response to this, there might be a work that cooperates and corresponds to the faith. For I pray in Jesus' name. There are three invitations for you to come this morning and to give your life to Christ or to come place your life in the church. Come for the recommitment of your life to the Lord because you believe that there needs to be this morning that kind of response, act, work, while we stand to sing, we invite you to come.